I think it's probably fair to suggest that at least most of us have at least thought about what we would do if we made it big. I mean, that's part of the reason why some of you keep playing all the lucky numbers every week, right? Because they're really lucky, right? Or it's part of the reason why we have dreams of our kids making it to the pros, because somebody is going to take care of us as we get older, right? Or, or, as my grandmother used to always assure me, that one day they're going to come knocking, and it's going to be Publisher's Clearinghouse, right? <laughs> my grandma promised me that, and we're going to have that million-dollar prize, right? And we've got that day figured out. Oh, we'll go pay off the bills real, real quick, be done with those guys, never have to take another phone call from them again. Or we'll get rid of this, uh, this bucket on wheels, or we'll go take that dream vacation or two or three, maybe, right? Take our favorite pastor out to a steak dinner. Um, <laughs> subliminal messages, right? Or we'll buy that perfect dream house we've been thinking of, right? The point is, boy, as soon as we can just finally make it big, we're going to take care of everything we've been wanting to. And if you've ever thought that way, then maybe you can have in your mind kind of imagine maybe what was going through the mind of these three men when their boss calls and says, I've got something for you. Jesus calls him their master and he gives to one of them five talents and to another one. He gives two talents and to the final one. He gives one talent. But the only thing about this scenario uh, compared to your scenario, see, in your mind, you're the one with the big smile. Your name's on the check. But in this scenario, it's not their money. There's no smiles from them. There's no, uh, che- there's no checks with their names on them. There's no picture of them happy and thinking about all the things that they're going to finally get to do with the money they have. It seems like as the story goes, this man gives them this money with the expectation that they will then do something with the money, but for his benefit. Y'all with me? Jesus tells the parable and says that the man entrusted the money to the three. And that is a lot different than giving them the money. Now, in the story, he doesn't tell them what he expects. He doesn't tell them exactly what to go do. We only know that according to their own ability, each one of them, they receive a certain amount of money. And understand that this man isn't just loaning them a few bucks to get through the week. He's not giving them a few dollars so they can uh, get through the month and be okay to get themselves back on track. This is something about his money. And what's, <laughs> what's even more, this is a lot of money. A talent is a lot of money. And since it's talking about money, I think that's part of the reason why this is one of those go-to parables for preachers. Especially when it comes around time for stewardship stuff, you know, when the preacher wants to convince you, when that preacher needs to convince you of the importance of giving to the church, they'll pull this one out, right? Because it talks about receiving and it talks about giving. And there's even that thing about giving in giving you can expect to receive. And preachers love that, right? Because that's what we need to hear. Now, understand me. I think that's fine. I think that's a part of our faith. That as part of a church, I think we are expected to be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. I think we are called to support the work of the church with our tithes and all this stuff. I think that if we aren't tithing, we are selling ourselves short 
And we are selling our community of faith short as well. However, I don't know that that is all Jesus wants us to take from this parable. That this parable is not just all about money. It's actually something else, something I think more important. Because, I mean, we as God's people know that there are more important things than money, don't we? I hope so. This passage continues a theme, a particular theme that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and that theme is waiting. You remember that? In the parable, the man gives the, the three men the money, and then he goes away, right? And then it's not after, until after a long time he returns. A long time those three men had to wait for him. In chapter 24 of Matthew, there are slaves. Uh, Jesus tells the parable of slaves who are not prepared for their master's return as well. They weren't prepared in their waiting. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the ten bridesmaids. And we saw how five of those bridesmaids were not prepared for the waiting that they had to do for the groom. And today, again, we have three people who are waiting for the return of someone. Now, I've often wondered, and maybe you have as well, God, what is taking you so long? I mean, I know it's heaven and all, but I'm really not that picky, okay? I'm kind of low maintenance. If Jacob slept on a rock, I can sleep on a rock if it's from heaven too. You don't have to go all out up there. Just get things ready real quick, and let's be done with this waiting business, God, please, because we don't like to wait. Right. We remember that from last week. Yet. We are called to wait. And I think this parable might be another example of what Jesus wants us to know about our waiting. This passage, I think Matthew uses to remind us of something Jesus thought was important that we had to know in our waiting. And again, Maybe with good reason, our tendency is to look at this parable and turn it into a money talk, right? What can God do with our money if we finally decide to put our money in? But I want you to ask yourself this question. Right before Jesus enters into what we would call Holy Week, the very last week of his life, he knows what's about to happen to him. Do you think that one of the last things he wanted to make sure to tell us was, Don't forget to give your money to the church. Maybe. God can say whatever he wants, right? But I'm going to suggest to you that maybe not so much. That there was something more important on Christ's mind in giving us this parable. More than just stewardship and what we do with our money. And here's why I think think that. First of all, this is, I don't know if you realize... An absurd story. Now, if you don't like that word absurd, you can use crazy, you can use uh, 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 ridiculous, whatever word you want to use. But this is an absurd story for a couple of reasons. First, the man gives one slave five talents, another one two talents, another one one talent. One talent alone is an absurd amount of money. A talent, which would have been a coin, right, represents about 15 years worth of wages. 
So imagine someone gives you a check. You've been working somewhere for 15 years and someone says, here, here's a check. Go have at it. It's an absurd amount of money. And to one of them, he gives five of those two and another one two. It's a crazy amount of money. Almost ridiculous as you listen to it. And not only is the money itself ridiculous, the man is going away on a trip, a long trip, but he doesn't, doesn't give his money to his son. He doesn't give his money to his banker or to his lawyer. He doesn't put it in a nice Roth IRA. He gives it to his slaves. What are they going to do with it? He's the one that's made all this money. He's the one that's built up this empire of his. What in the world are they going to do with all this money? If you are listening to this parable, I think you should be thinking this story is crazy. What are they going to do with all that money? But as we listen, though, we realize. Sounds crazy to us. But giving the money to the slaves for whatever reason didn't sound crazy to the man. And I think it's that absurdity, that craziness that is the real heart, the real important part of this parable. Now, you don't have to show your hands or anything, but have any of us received an absurd amount of money like that lately? I mean, if so, let me know. I'll let you choose the hymns next week and, you know. And... No, none of Okay. None of us have received a crazy amount, uh, gift of money like that. So. <laughs> Paid to the order of, right? So since none of us have received that kind of gift, we need to ask ourselves then, What is then the point of this parable? And I'm glad you asked. I think the point of this parable is that God gives ridiculous gifts. Let me me be frank and honest here. I know about some of y'all. Some of y'all have shared, you know, some of the things you've been through or some of the things you've done or some of what you've uh, uh, made of yourself so far. I know a little bit about y'all and there's things about me y'all don't even know. And to think, if you were to sit down and think, man, I know everything I've done. And God still said, I forgive you. Do you know how crazy that sounds? Some of us in the church, boy, we are just so hateful, so angry and so grumpy. Do you know how crazy it is to think that God says, you know what? I love you anyway. Some of us in the church, boy, we are just so. (sighs) Do you know how crazy it sounds to think that God would still say, I love you enough? To give you my one and only son. Do you know how crazy that is? It's absurd. It's ridiculous. What are you going to do with that kind of gift? Y'all with me? Some of us are so willing to uh, whip everybody else into shape and tell them what they got going wrong for them. But yet God still says, 
I'll be mercy, merciful with you. I'll give you that gift. Some of us are so unforgiving. God still says, I forgive you. Some of us are still, God, I don't need you. I never have needed you. I can do things my way. I'll be okay without you. God still says, here's a new life for you. God is in the business of giving absolutely ridiculous gifts to people who don't even know how to use them. Amen. Thank you. When Patty read from Judges, I I love the emphasis she had. She said, when the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you read through the Old Testament, you realize that this is a cycle with them. God is good, da-da-da-da-da. And then they turn away from God. That was the evil that they did in the sight of God. They turned away from God to other gods. And then they realized, oops, that didn't work. God, we need you, huh? And God says, take you in. Do you know how crazy that is? Some of us, I've heard us, we read this and we think, what in the world? People are crazy and God's crazy. What's going on? In this particular instance, the people did what was evil on the side of the uh, of the Lord, they were oppressed for 20 years by some uh, some guy who was making things really bad for them. They decided, God, we messed up. And what did God do? God gave them Deborah. Gave them uh, prophetess Deborah to make out a plan to where they could be saved. They could be uh, taken from their uh, their bondage. See, friends, God is in the business of giving us crazy. Crazy, crazy gifts. Y'all with me? That makes sense? Now, the question is, what do we do with those gifts? Now, in the parable that Jesus told, the first two slaves took those gifts, and Matthew says, and Jesus says that they very quickly went out and made more. Right? The first one went out and made five more. The second one went out and made two more. But the third one, third one didn't do so well. But I think in his response, we can have an indication of how the first two did what they did. You see, after the man finally returns, you can see the first two up there. Oh, master, I made you five more and I made you two more. And the third one's thinking, you show off, right? And when it comes time for him to have an account, he tells the master what? I knew you were a harsh man. You reap where you do not sow, and you gather where you do not put in seed. That was something about his boss, his master, that he knew. And I'm going to presume that it's something that the other two knew as well. And the other two decided, hmm, okay, if that's how he made all his money in the first place, I'm going to make it work for me too. And that's how I'm going to go about doing things. But the The third one says, I'm too scared of what he'll do when he gets back. But they knew something about their master that helped them be able to do what they knew he expected him to do. Now, I want to clarify something with regard to that. I hear quite often, and praise God, have for a long time, that when people decide... It's time for a new life. It's time to turn over a new leaf. It's time to begin again. It's time to put all that old stuff behind me. Part of what they usually say is, i got to begin with church. That is wrong. 
don't you ever begin with church. When we finally decide that we are going to accept these gifts that God gives us, you don't begin with church. You begin with God. Now, church becomes a place where you can meet God. Church becomes a place where you can hear about these gifts that God has given to us. Church becomes a place where you can hear the expectations that God has for us as well, where you can hear about the life that God wants us to live, to live. But we understand that everything about us has to begin with God. Now, I say that because I am hoping to communicate to you today that God wants us to take these absurd Gifts, these absurd gifts of mercy and love and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation, all these crazy gifts that you don't know what to do with. God wants you to take them and to go make more. Y'all with me? Fortunately, though, what tends to happen is, well, We hear those gifts. Maybe we take them, but we don't go out and make more. What do we do? We do like the third slave. We start digging. And we bury those gifts. Now, maybe we think we don't deserve those gifts. Maybe we think we don't know what to do with those gifts. Maybe we think I didn't want the gifts to begin with. Don't give them to me. But we bury them. In some ways, church becomes sort of that hole in the ground that Jesus talks about in a weird way, because we can come here and talk a whole lot about God's stuff. We can talk about the love and the mercy and blah, 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 and all that good God stuff. But as soon as we walk out the door, we leave with the same funky attitude we came in with. We can talk about all the God stuff here, but as soon as we get into our cars, we're on our way. Don't let that person cross me today. We can talk about how good God is here, but when we leave there, we have nothing to show for it because we've buried it all right here. Ouch. See, I think this parable is not about money, necessarily. It's about invitation. It's about an invitation from God. You see, the third man, once his master returned, told his master what he did or what he didn't do with his money, and he got sent to a place weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't know what comes in your mind when you hear that, but it ain't pretty, y'all. It ain't a nice place to be. It's a place that we create, I think. You know, we bring in our laziness, we bring in our coldness, we bring in all our stuff, and then we leave with it, and we create those kinds of places in some regard. And as long as we're going to be willing to dig our holes and leave the God's gifts here, that's exactly what we will get. But if we can look at the other two, once they told their master what they did with the money, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant, he tells them. And then 
He invites them to be in the joy of their master. We know what life is like without God. We know what life is like doing things our own way. We bury, we forget what God has done for us, and we know what that gets us. But friends, this morning, I think God is showing us that when we accept the gifts that God gives to us, there is a joy that we are invited to that only God can give. And it is the only joy that lasts. And that is the point of the parable. An invitation to discipleship. An invitation to take those great, absurd gifts from God and to make more of them. And to live into the joy of our master. So this is what I want you to do. Imagine you just hit it big. Cameras are all around you, right? Because this is an important thing, right? And you got one of those big checks in front of you, right? You're smiling, right? And you're there with God, whatever God looks like to you, right? There's God with you. God's so happy for you. I'm there, too. I got the balloons and the flowers, right? I'm happy for you, too. There you are. You're so happy. You've got this great gift paid to the order of your name. That's your name, y'all. Then you notice. In that little box in the corner, next to the dot where the dollar signs are supposed to be. What? That's not money. Instead of a numerical figure in there, what you've just been gifted is what you need God to really give you. Maybe it's a new sense of purpose. Maybe it is forgiveness. Maybe it's hope or wisdom. Maybe it's mercy. Maybe it's strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Whatever it is you need from God, God has just said, here it is. Brothers and sisters, that is what God offers to us this morning. Amen? Amen. And the only question we have to ask ourselves in is what will we do with those gifts? Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, quite often we have tried to make of our lives what we have wanted. Forgive us, God, when we have turned away from you. Today we hear your invitation, invitation to live into your joy, and God, we want that joy more than anything else. So we pray to you, God, to help us live into the joy of our master, to receive the gift of love and forgiveness and everlasting life that you offer to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.